Oh, uh, you know, I've never had sex in an airplane. <laughs> and I've thought about it so many oh times, but I God. never have. I can't tell if this is a bit or not. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. Oh, Lord. No, I mean, there's no way to have sex comfortably on a plane. No, there's... But, I mean, don't movies make it look so comforting and appealing? Not comforting, no. but, like, exciting. Nah. Like, there's something, like, riveting about, like, ooh, we're in this place where we could get caught, but we're not. Huh. It's like, oh, we're in this place where a dude just dropped a deuce, like, ten seconds ago. I mean, not if you get there before everybody else does, Derek. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. Time out. Um, are you saying that the strat is to have sex immediately when you enter the plane? I mean, yeah, why not? Everybody's still boarding. People are distracted. Nobody's paying attention to the bathrooms. It seems like the ideal time to have sex on a plane. With all the shuffling going on? Why not? But but then you're not part of the Mile High Club because you haven't fucking taken off. Fair point. Good point. And it's also not a mile high. It's probably more like multiple miles high. You know what? Hold on. There's a joke about For, it on 30 Rock. That's the only reason I... It's like... <laughs> fucking second. Hold on. I was... <laughs> uh... All right, Google, tell me how many feet are there in a mile? This is riveting podcasting. Okay, it's it's definitely several miles. That's what I thought. Thank you. So it's, there's 5,280 5, miles in, uh, feet in a mile. And yeah, you're looking at the miles high club. Definitely. All right. Well, one of these days I will join the multiple several miles high club. So I guess if you want to be in the Mile High Club, you actually have to be having sex as you're taking off. Yeah. Like, so that way you're still like under the 5,000 foot threshold. Although I don't think they let you do it when you're taking off. Because I no. think everyone has to be seated. Also, that is a fucking hazard. Can you imagine? Oh my god, no, that sounds miserable. That <laughs> sounds like a way to get a broken <laughs> genital. So welcome to episode 39 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade, and along for the ride, as always, uh, the plane ride, as it were, is Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi, Juan. So, this was your pick, and this is a movie that uh, neither one of us had actually heard of before uh, you picked it, and but we do know who made it, who directed it, so do you want to shine a little light on that? Yes. So the director is George Cooker, who is mm-hmm. a fantastic filmmaker who created such hit classics as The Women. He was uncredited for The Wizard of Oz. He made Adam's Rib, Gaslight, uh, The Philadelphia Story, My Fair Lady. I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. But they're all so good because he's such a good fucking filmmaker. And um, this movie just happens to be his last film. And it stars none other than... <laughs> What's it called, one? Candice Bergen and Jacqueline Bizet. I like the little jazz you put on the, uh, on the, on the S's in Bizet there. Thanks, I try. <laughs> so what's this movie called, one? Uh, it's called Rich and Famous. Rich and Famous. Which, I get it. It's all I want to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to be naked and famous, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's, uh, that's a reference to a song by the President of the United States of America. Oh. You know, the Peaches guys. Sure. So Rich and Famous was uh, a remake <laughs> of a 1943 film by Vincent Sherman called Old Acquaintance, 
which stars um, Betty Davis and Miriam Hopkins. God bless. Yeah, I, I had not heard of this one. And uh, you ever had that thing, one where you watch a movie, uh, enjoy some parts of it, or are less enthralled by some parts of it, and at the end, when the credits roll, you're like, I have no fucking idea whether or not I liked this movie or not. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of what I felt with Rich and Famous. I mean, I like it. I think it has a lot of flaws. I mean, they're not giant technical flaws. No. It's like, they're... <sighs> It's almost as if there's like some lost in translation stuff. Like this movie's kind of like a, a stylistic quilt. There's no like clashing tones per se, because it can't really land on one, so far as I'm concerned. There's different things at play that don't really gel together. But before we get to any of that shit, one, what is Rich and Famous about? Uh, Rich and Famous is broken down to its barest bones. Is about two women who have strikingly different personalities but have remained friends throughout the decades. And um, each one is... Okay, so well, Jacqueline Bizet's character has written a famous debut novel that is well-reviewed and, you know, has a feminist text, even though she doesn't identify as a feminist. And um, it's one of those important books that doesn't necessarily make a shit ton of money. And then a couple of years later, her friend ends up writing, Candace Bergen ends up writing her own book. And it is a super trashy feelings book, like women's <laughs> lit, essentially. Feelings. Um, and um, she becomes rich and famous and thus begins, or not begins, because there's always been a weird back and forth between the two of them. But their back and forth becomes... Crazier and crazier as the time goes by. Yeah, that's basically it. It's a it's a it's a tale of a, a fraught friendship and uh, the weirdness of the literary world that doesn't really have anything super interesting or insightful to say about either. Yeah, I I think I'm slightly less and I mean you don't sound super thrilled about this movie, but I think I'm a little less enamored with it than you actually are too. I don't. I mean, I think it's again. I think it's a good movie. I think. I think it has a lot of interesting things to explore. But does it explore them? Not necessarily. Ah, uh, okay. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, there's, this movie starts in the late 50s with like a very short kind of setup scene that's literally like five minutes long. And this basically establishes the friendship. And uh, we're also introduced uh, to the character of Doug, played by uh, David Selby, mm-hmm. who is um, who's one of these character actor types who's been around forever. Um, you might recognize him as, um, as, uh, I think the thing he's probably the best known for is being on Dark Shadows for three years in the late 60s and early 70s. And he just, he plays basically just like a kind of a scummy, not even scummy, just kind of a, just kind of a dude having a midlife crisis, basically. Just like, yeah, his, his, his awesome mustache does a lot of the talking. Yeah, pretty much. He's got like one of those, like one of those Tom Selleck dealies. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, this movie is basically, you got Jacqueline Bissett, who's like the, the, the art writer, and you got the Candace Bergen, who's like, who's like the, the, the Jackie Collins, Judith Krantz, you know, trash writer, right? Yeah. And, and you were talking to me uh, in the Slack about this. Do you buy their friendship? I... Because that's like the key component of the film. Yes. So, my thing with this movie is... Or, okay, films about female friendship are, like, my easiest 
like I am a mark for them. For sure, uh, okay. sure. <laughs> I I mean, just going back into our catalog, just in our episodes, there's a bunch of movies that, like, um, let's see, just like just just going back, we've got Sex in the City, we've got uh, we've got, I don't think Prime counts as one. Okay, we haven't done that many female friendship movies, but you do like white women problem movies. I do. I love white that's, women problem movies. That's that's a lot of the movies you recommended for this show, actually. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Um, but so my thing is uh, their friendship is so wildly polarized to the point where it's like every single time they end up together in a scene, they are placed into a fight without any buildup or reason to care that they're fighting. There needs to be a balance of calm and anger between two women in a friendship. Like, I cannot buy this anger without there being moments of genuine friendship and support for each other to balance it out. Yeah, they kind of come to a little too late in this movie. Yeah, their most touching scene is the last scene of the movie. The literal last scene of the film, yes. But also just the way the film is... It's a film about female friendship that really couldn't give two shits about the friendship. Yeah. Like, this movie is a lot more interested in Jacqueline Bissett's sort of affairs. Which I think are... I mean, every scene where they're not together is so interesting and pretty fucking good to me. And uh, they're also... And I, I was kind of interested in how the arc of progression of Candace Bergen into, like, more... Like, she's becoming more and more gaudy. Like, more and more kind of a parody of what she was in the previous era okay like i think candace bergen's character is like the more of the times character like of the era that she's in she's like more susceptible to like fads and uh yes. fashions and and progressively leans more and more into the fact that she's from the south mm-hmm. and she's got a strange arc but by dint of the fact that the movie is split both chronologically and in terms of... Because I think this movie is a lot more interested in what Jacqueline Bissett is doing. Mm-hmm. As well it should, because I think that's the better arc. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Jacqueline Bissett's narrative is fascinating, and it gets even more fascinating the different readings you put onto it. But also, I think every character in this film is, like, full of shit. <laughs> I mean, but, like... And, like, not to disparage the genre as a whole but like our movies about like rich white women not usually full of people that are full of shit no i think because the full of shitness appears to be the core of their character because jacqueline Bissett is full of shit in a very specific literary kind of way candace bergen is full of shit in like a faux homie kind of way the mm-hmm. kid from rolling stone uh who's played by uh, a canadian character actor named hart bachner Uh, is full of shit in a way that only someone who's 22 is full of shit. Yeah. Meg Ryan, who shows up in... uh, Baby Meg Ryan shows up. She's she's gotta be, like, what, 18 in this movie? Pretty much. Uh, She shows up and is full of shit in a way only a spunky 18-year-old can be. And Doug is just full of shit in the way that, you know, someone's, you know, someone's boring husband is full of shit. Every character (laughs) in this film is full of shit, but it's also key to their character. And that doesn't always work. You know? I don't know if I agree. I think it works fine for what this movie is trying to do, I guess. But what is it trying to do? Explore because... the lives of these women. Although not uh, not especially well. 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think we explore much of the inner life of Candace Bergen beyond the fact that she appears to be just like this kind of spoiled brat kind of person who's like, yeah. oh no, like also like subtly racist. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, she is pretty much like I read Gone with the Wind twice a year. She's more of a character <laughs> than Jacqueline Bisset is a person. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, Candace Bergen is a capital C character, while uh, yeah. Jacqueline Bissett is, like, a uh, lowercase c character. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, I hate to just, like, ditch Candace Bergen, because she's very good at playing the character she's playing. Oh, no, I mean, no, she, she gets the job done, definitely. Yeah, but, I mean, like, this entire movie, it's like, if I'm gonna talk about it, it's gonna be about Jacqueline Bissett. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I think her narrative arc is kind of fascinating from the way she goes from being presented as this, like, I mean, her opening scene is her getting left behind while the other woman goes off with a man. She is like a figure of, you know, a proper quote unquote figure. She is when she's, she's doing these lectures on, her literature and why it's important and it's art and blah 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 she's a non-sexually fueled person compared to candace bergen who literally ran off with her boyfriend and then slowly but surely her arc is one of like sexual embracing i don't know if it's sexual embracing so much as it is like awakening not even it's not even really the movie kind of plays this like oh it's kind of like, I can't believe I'm about to invoke the specter of uh, a movie I didn't like that everyone else in the world seemed to like. It's kind of like the idea in Steve McQueen's Shame, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I'm boning and it sucks. <laughs> oh, this is this 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 is a moral failure on my part. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of cheap ironies in this film. Like, Jacqueline Bisset goes on about how... The worship of young flesh is horseshit. Oh, I love it. And then and then proceeds to sleep with an 18-year-old. And like an 18-year-old hustler. Yeah, yeah. Which like, I would... Okay, so I'm going to bring up something you brought up to me earlier off podcast, which is Pauline mm-hmm. Kael's criticism of this movie. Yes. Um, I'm curious. So what? why did you bring it up to me? Um, f- for, and for real? And can you give the... Kale, I guess. Present okay, well, I, got, the... I, got, I got the quote yeah. right here. Pauline Kale, the New Yorker, stated, quote, Rich and famous isn't camp, exactly. It's more like a homosexual fantasy. Jacqueline Bissett's affairs with their masochistic overtones are creepy because they don't seem like what a woman would get into. And Candace Bergen is used almost as if she were a big, goosey female impersonator. What struck me was, like, the language of it because it was the early 80s. Yes. But also, it's like, who do I know? Who knows about this? And oh, it's my friend JB. So what do you think about this? I think, and I know she was like highly critiqued for this one by like a lot of gay men who were Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is homophobic. And it's like, no, some of her language isn't like, it's a little too blunt, but like, she's not wrong. I can't even, I can't even remember the last time I saw the word homosexual out in the wild. (laughs) I mean, I use it all the time, but. um... No, I, I mean like in like, like I don't like, I'm not like, if you were to ask me literally six months ago. What's likelier to happen? Anthony Lane having a boner over a cartoon character in The New Yorker or someone using the word homosexual 100% seriously? And yeah. I would say probably Tony Lane getting a boner over a cartoon character because Love no that. one uses the word homosexual like 100% stoically anymore. That's, That's not true. a thing you read. No, it's absolutely fair. 
My thing is, again, I don't think she's wrong. It's like Candace Bergen is absolutely basically playing like a drag. Like it's like, it's like the same joke I make about Meryl Streep is that Meryl Streep at this point in her career is playing a drag version of Meryl Streep. And like Candace Bergen is basically playing like a hyper ridiculous woman who like is shrill and screams at everyone whenever she's not getting her way. That's like not necessarily how a homosexual would write her. It's kind of actually arguably how like a straight man would write a naggy woman. Um, But like I understand what she's getting at. But more importantly, I understand what she's getting at with Jacqueline Bissett's character. Not necessarily. I think it's a little like, I don't want to call it slut shamey, but it's a little slut shamey in the way that like women can have sex and embrace themselves without it being like the fantasy of a gay man. But like, the entire scene with the hustler is 1000% the queerest thing I've ever fucking seen on a film ever. <laughs> like literally it opens including <laughs> movies with like penetrative gay sex or whatever. You know, I don't need this kind of fucking <laughs> let me be hyperbolic for a moment. Okay, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> um continue. Like her meeting him literally like is opens with them like cruising through the streets of new york not touching and just chatting and gazing at each other back and forth here's the thing this is like i think where you and i part because i thought that was creepy as shit (laughs) i thought i thought it was like why is this dude tailing her please stop because he's a prostitute i know he's a prostitute i sure i just you know like you watched american gigolo didn't you i did yeah, that, that movie's a lot of fucking cruising, too. We just mm-hmm. watched a movie called Cruising. We did just watch a, watch a movie <laughs> called Cruising. It's a lot of, you know, chatting, moving, and gazing. Maybe I just didn't correctly gauge how into it Jacqueline Bissett was. Okay, fair. So, yeah, he, 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 he came on a little strong. Let's put it that way. Okay, fair. But by the time they get back into the bedroom, I mean, like, one, he's in a leather jacket and tight pants with a great ass, so that's sure, already, like, sure, sure. a start to this, like homoeroticism him stripping for her in a dis like from a distance like not being able to touch her until she's basically like confronted with his body is totally a queer thing like that's like it's like gazes and touches like light touches and not being able to touch things are very queer in my opinion um the way he's she's still holding back as he's like stripping for her and there's such a resistance to touch that feels very ingrained in the way a gay man would approach a moment like this uh compared to like a woman um yeah no i definitely see where she's coming from honestly like it makes so much sense to me and i also think it extends to the way he depicts these two characters as bizette is who he is and bergen is who he wishes he could have been, but then starts resenting that he wishes he could have been that. And I think that's something inherently part of like a gay man's life is that like we see ourselves as who we are, but also like we want to be something else and hate ourselves for not being able to be that other thing. And I mean, I think that probably happens to a lot of people, but I think it's definitely a very gay thing too. But anyway, so yeah, um, Paul and Kale was pretty right. <laughs> so two things on that. <laughs> No, well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with you. No, hit me. I love it. No, no, it's not, it's not a matter of disagreement. I think. I think this is what I think this would fall under. Not so much a question, but more of a comment. Mm-hmm. 
how much of uh, homoeroticism as like a thing in art or or in life, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, how much of it is like, to borrow a term from the cruising episode, how much of it is like playing a game of chicken? Um, I mean, like, I would argue a lot, depending on what kind of space you're in. And even when you are in your own space. I mean, it's like... Let's assume it's your own space. I think we covered public spaces pretty well in cruising. And now let's yeah. focus on the private sphere. So like a queer, like a specifically queer space? No, just like, you know, your apartment or whatever. Well, I mean, it's like... Or a hotel room, as it were. I mean, it depends on what the person is there for, sure. I guess. Like, even when I do have someone over for, like, something sexual, I think there is... I think a lot of sex and sexuality is the build-up. I think that's such an interesting thing to me. It's like the anticipation of it is just as exciting as the act itself. And I think that's why I'm drawn to a lot of these, like, erotic thrillers or erotic dramas, because I do think they milk that very well, which we've discussed before with, like, Unfaithful, for example. I think that's so... Basic Instinct. Yeah. No, like, all of the movies that are erotic and that I love, I think, play off of both anticipation and the act itself. Again, in, like, a public space... Yeah, a lot of gay life is fucking playing chicken. It's like, I don't know if that guy's gay or not. Like, it's like, he's hot. I don't know if he is into men or women. And is he going to get offended by the fact that he, I am into him? Like, who knows? Anything can happen. And I think that in the 1980s and the 70s. Yeah, because this is one year after cruising. Yeah, I think there is still a lot of... And, like, for someone like George Cooker, and this is purely speculative, Okay, but, like, someone who grew up in a time period where homosexuality was highly frowned upon, even though people still were, like, queer as fuck. Um, you know, I think that translates over to how he shot and presented that sex scene like i think there is some of that like it's it's very much a hesitant experience and i think people in the 1940s 50s were hesitant or in america particularly were hesitant in that same manner but again maybe i'm just being i'm reaching potentially but i think it is an interesting thing to think about and i do think their friendship in the final scene is, I mean, and oh, throughout, I think is very interesting. And they're, I think they, like, if this movie was made today, they would be a lot queerer. You think? The two women. Yes. But I think female friendships can often be read as queer. And I think that's a very interesting thing that would take way too long to discuss. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like within the confines of our pod, uh, I don't think you'd be able to get to stretch your legs out on that one. No, God, no. Um, I mean, it is, it, it is a striking scene. Which one? The, the scene with the hustler in the hotel room. Yeah, no. And I do actually find it really interesting that each of her sex scenes kind of plays out a little differently. I mean, like her reluctance to commit with the Rolling Stone guy. Arguably the more idyllic of her of her liaisons. Yeah. Like out in the woods in Connecticut and fucking, you know. And it's the only one that uh, they show two separate sex scenes of with the same person. That's true. Her airplane sex scene, though, is magnificent. <laughs> I, I just, I think... It certainly doesn't make me want to fuck on a plane, that's for sure. No, but I think it's <laughs> such a good 
example of like a sex scene that can be erotic and also funny. Like sex is sex can be funny. Sex can sure. be amusing. Sex doesn't always have to be like super dramatic. And I think that's something good about this movie is like I mean, in this airplane sex scene, it's literally cross-cutting between her getting fucked in the bathroom with this attractive guy that she's into and then <laughs> and the all of the landing gear, yeah. gear. And instead of, like, her taking off into this life of, like, it's not a sexual awakening. It's like she's landing into somewhere she's comfortable after being in a uncomfortable space. I feel like that joke's a little overlong, actually. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I don't. I just, I mean, it does definitely go on forever, but I think it's so funny. I mean, I think this movie is a case of this movie is more interesting conceptually than it is as an actual art object. That's fair. It's like the opposite of our lost episode, The Pied Piper, oh, which God, kind of, yeah. which kind of seemed like, uh, kind of like a, a run of the mill, nothing much here kind of movie. But as you kept talking about it, it it's its layers revealed itself to, uh, yeah. to us. This Absolutely. is kind of the opposite. I think there's some interesting shit in the margins, but as like a movie, as like a an art object, I, I it's, I mean the things that the movie hangs on, like, that don't really work for me. That's fair. The central friendship seems all out of whack. I think this movie has an interesting relationship towards sex, but can't articulate it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some good performances in it. Uh, there's some good acting in this film. Uh, yeah, I like, I, I will stand by Jacqueline Bisset. Jacqueline Bisset's very good. I don't know if I liked Candace Bergen's performance or if I didn't like the character. I can't tell. I think you didn't like the character. I think she's good performing as the character. I think the problem is what, I mean, it's what Pauline Kael's kind of saying. It's like, she's just playing a drag version of a woman. <laughs> a drag version of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> To, like, boil it down to, like, not that. She's playing a drag version of a southern woman. Yes. And I think oh, that absolutely. May, I think that may be, like, part of that thing where it's like she leans into her southernness more and more as time goes on. Like, the accent gets thicker. And yeah, it really does. Like, it becomes but, part of the persona. And do you think that's part of the character? I do think that the fact the accent becomes thicker because she leans into the persona that she's created for herself is key to the character. Yes, and I think that's a very interesting, like, that's a minor thing that this movie does very interestingly. But again, we get to spend very little time comparatively with uh, yeah. Candace Bergen. Which is so, a shame. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this this movie's built weird. <laughs> it's it is. put together like a weird quilt. It is. And it has, again, it's like, I think one of the other things that I feel weird about with it is its tone varies so wildly occasionally from scene to scene. Like I feel, yeah, I think I agree with you because a lot of the times I feel like it, like a lot of the times this is like basically a Paul Mazursky movie, but mm-hmm. then it becomes like one of those like uh, like uh, Davis Crawford movies or at least like a cover version of one of them. It's just so high melodrama at times when it doesn't have to be. Nah, I mean I feel like they could have gotten a lot more mileage out of those fight sequences had they been more simmering and less acty. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like there. Okay, so in the first scene of the movie, she gets left with a bear, and she keeps this stuffed bear. Oh, in the fucking lifetime, fucking Chekhov's bear. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, and then like their like climactic fight is like them ripping the bear apart, and it plays it so. It's so silly. Yeah, and that's it's very a silly. Shame. I think there's something to explore there. It just doesn't do it well. 
There's uh, one, yeah, there's one very good scene in the film, and it's the last scene of the film. And I thought, and to, alluding to what you were saying earlier, it would have been a very ballsy move had they, like, ended the film with them, like, making out or whatever. I do think, I think there's, I think that would have been so good, number one. Number two, I think their relationship and their power dynamics and struggles could have been queerer. I think there is something there within that alone um, that is queer, but, like, I wish the movie would have gone, like, full force with it. But, but here's it the thing. never it's was almost, going to. It's almost better that it didn't because I wouldn't have bought, I would have bought it even less. That's you true. That's Do you fair. buy these two as lovers? Not for a second. No, because the movie didn't set it up that way, but I think the it movie could did not be set, it up, set that up that way. I mean, it could have been if it were an entirely different film, but given yeah, what we had coming beforehand, I wouldn't have bought it for a second. No, I wouldn't have, but I do. I love that last scene so much. It's a good scene, but I wouldn't have bought... I maybe buy Jacqueline Bissett's half of it, but I don't buy Candace Bergen's for a, for a hot second. No, not at all. Oh, man. Yeah, this this movie was kind of disappointing, bud. We, I was uh, talking to you off mic. I was like, I don't know what my opinion on this movie is, and I think it's going to get solidified in the episode. Well, I'm curious. So, like, now that we've discussed the movie, I mean, do you have anything else that you would like to specifically uh, mention before we close out? Because, I mean, I might drop, like, one more bit, but that's about it. I liked that the character of uh, Ginger was played by Daniel Feraldo, who plays... Bad guy Tony Salvano in Above the Law, a movie that we had previously covered. I thought that Hot was interesting. Um, but as far as like the film itself goes, here here's the thing. I think this movie was angling for a more naturalistic Jacqueline Bisset's author's book kind of movie, but ended up trying to be more of a Candace Bergen's character's book kind of deal and couldn't consolidate the two. Okay. I think there's a few good performances in the, this film. I think Jacqueline Bissett was very good. Um, I thought that... Um, I mean, I guess Candace Bergen was good. I mean, uh, def- I mean, I definitely prefer the Bissett, uh, the Bissett uh, uh, angle or part of this film. Uh, Hart Bachner is pretty solid in basically 15 minutes of, of screen time. He's not in this for a lot of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I this. This movie had a lot of potential, and I don't think it, like, capitalized on any of it. So I'm going to have to give this uh, a soft rotten. Okay. A very soft rotten. This is not a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think it, I don't think it, like, I don't think it plays on its strengths. I think it doesn't even have the kind of, it has, like, occasional whiplashes in tone, but rather than being galvanizing, it doesn't buy into those poles enough Mm -hmm. you know it only comes up occasionally and by its very nature as a time as a movie split in time and by character but not giving both characters equal strength in terms of character building it does itself a major disservice and it's just kind of disappointing at the end yeah so jb what do you think um i think the strength of its of bizet's moments on her own are enough for me to give it a soft fresh i mean i'm very torn with this movie as well but i think it's i think her entire story is so interesting and since she is the one we primarily focus on and luckily get more film of you know i'm 
more than willing to give it a fresh. I also just think George Cooker is very interesting in how drawn he is to stories about women and attempting to give them uh, interiority, even if it doesn't always work out, unfortunately, like with Candace Bergen's character. I'll give it a soft, a soft fresh. Soft fresh? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess that kind of encapsulates our, 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 our thoughts on this. Yeah, it's a more interesting movie to talk about than it is to watch. You could probably just pick a movie that George Cooker made in the 40s and have a better time. Oh, yeah, no shit. Speaking of which, recommendations. Recommendation time. This was one of yours, so I'm going to do one of mine first. Hit it. Uh, The link here is going to be Jacqueline Bisset, and uh, the movie I'm going to be recommending is Day for Night, a.k.a. La Nuit Américaine, which is a uh, François Truffaut film from 1973. Nice. It's one of the great movies about making movies. Uh, Truffaut was one of the great French filmmakers. Um, it's, it's, it's really cool. It's funny. It's kind of, it's weird. It's a weird movie. This is a movie from back when, uh, a, a foreign art film could get nominated for like best screenplay, best director, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, like Francois Truffaut, who wrote and directed the film, plays the director in the film. <laughs> I love it. Self-awareness. And, uh, Jean-Pierre Léo is in this thing as well. Who's like, you know, Francois Truffaut's boy, uh, besets in this. You know how you like some people who are writers because they have great diction and they make interesting turns of phrase and they just sound cool? Like I like Truffaut as a writer because there's kind of a warmth to the way he writes. Even when he's doing like the fucking movie nerd new wave stuff, there's a warmth that I feel is in like like every movie that I've seen. That makes his. sense like, to me. Yeah. Getting back to like, like, you know, obviously starting with 400 Blows, which is one of the great, great humanist films. Yeah. And going through to stuff like Small Change and this and even even like stuff that people think is minor, like Shoot the Piano Player has a warmth to it. Yes, I appreciate no, it. absolutely. So Day for Night is my recommendation. Cool. What do you think? Uh, or rather, what it. do you have? I've actually never seen it, but I... It's a good-ass movie. Yeah. Um, My recommendation is going to be a George Cooker film, which I love. And um, I mean, this is an easy choice for me. It's The Women. Starring Meg Ryan, who's also in this movie. No, shut up. I hate you. Um, (laughs) Not that version, which I've actually never seen. And I think I'm going to hate it less than most people do. You're going to have to watch that and report back. Because I was like famously like a giant boondoggle of a film. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that people hated it. But like, uh, no, mine is the... 1939 film The Women, starring mm. Norma Shear, Joan Crawford, Rosalind Russell, Mary Bolin, jo- uh, Joan Fontaine. I mean, it's like, it's a stacked cast. Heavy hitters. Yeah, I mean, it's based on a play. Uh, Fassbender actually directed a TV movie version of the play, fun fact of the day. It's like, I mean, it's come on, it's great. It has so many great lines. It has so many great performances. I don't think I can properly explain why I love this movie so much, but it is just great, great classic cinema that came out. Um, It's black and white, but there is actually one color sequence smack in the middle of it that's just a fashion show. And it's so gorgeously done, even though George Cooker himself hated it. But like, I just, it's, ugh, it's such a good fucking movie in its time period and yeah so and it's still today it's almost been 80 or 90 years since it came out so like you know or 80 80 90 80 1939 yeah so that would be 80 80 years yep 80 years yeah 
Uh, um, the, re- yeah. the remake of The Women, directed by uh, Diane English, who also created Murphy Brown, which stars Candace Bergen. Candace Bergen. Which, uh, everything is connected. Uh, I know, you know, it really is. You know, Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> um, does that count as a reference if I just said the title of a movie? <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Let's roll okay. with it. Um, so, uh, next episode is going to be one of mine. Yes, it and is. We're going to be doing a weird one. It's uh, a movie from a director that I like, uh, one Joe Dante, starring an actor that I like, one Thomas Hanks. So for the next episode of the Stuck in the Middle with You podcast, we are going to be talking about The Burbs, directed by Joe Dante. Hot dog. uh, Released in 1989. Nice. I've actually never seen it. Yeah, me neither. I'm actually quite interested. Uh, uh, also starring Bruce Dern, uh, Carrie Fisher, and Corey Feldman. Nice. So, um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. All right. Uh, Juan and I have a website, dimthehouselights.com. There you'll find all manner of film criticism, essays, other stuff, uh, mostly written by us and our rotating stable. Not even rotating. Our, our stable is pretty solid. Uh, Michelle Arf, Chris Mello, and Ross Burks. Read our Fantasia shit. It's really good. Juan writes for the Miami New Times. You can find his stuff both in print and online. It's going to be a little bit past this, but he recently put out an interview with Josephine Decker, the filmmaker behind uh, Madeline's Madeline, that you can find. uh, That's online, right? Yep. All right. Uh, Juan also organizes a series of screenings called Flaming Classics. It's at the Cosford Cinema, Miami, Florida. Uh, Check your local listings. This happens on, what is it, Saturdays? Every other Sunday. Every other Sunday at Cosford Cinema, Miami, Florida. You can find uh, pretty much everything I do at DerekGodine.com. Everything that I do is linked from there, including my Twitter and Letterboxd pages. You can find both me and Juan on Twitter. I'm at Derek underscore G, and he is at Whoa, It's Juanito. That's W-O-A-H, It's Juanito, all one word. And we are both on Letterboxd at those same handles. I think that's it. Is that everything? I think so. Sweet. So that's it for today, for this episode. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks, everybody. Good job. See ya.